I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Today, I'm being joined by the lovely Jesse from I Dream of Jesse. How are you, my dear? Doing wonderful. Sweet. Yeah. And I'm even recording, so that makes it even more wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, it's strange, because after so damn long of doing this podcast, <laughs> shit like that still happens. So everyone uh, by now has heard, obviously, with this episode's beginning, the intro music uh, we teased last week. So I hope uh, I hope you're all getting on board with this. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's a really great tune. Um, okay, so let's talk about the show this week quickly here, and then we'll dive into it after a little bit of back and forth. Uh, we're gonna bring a oldie but goodie, the Devil's Advocate, back here in this episode, and we're gonna be talking about the ninth satanic sin. Yeah, see, we've talked about a lot, not quite all yet, I don't think, of these satanic statements. And we've covered one of the satanic sins in detail before. I figure why not go back to the sinning? Because after all, I mean, isn't that kind of what, kind of what we're all about? <laughs> Even if it is our own sins, <laughs> it's fun to talk about it. Uh, and then, of course, Jesse is joining us for I Dream of Jesse episode 21. What is this one called? Behavior and Identity. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and is this going to be a live presentation? It is. Holy <laughs> shit. Uh, yes. All right. Looking forward to that. And we're going to close this episode out with a pre-recorded creature feature. I spoke with Marilyn Mansfield about her company, Goo Goo Gaga Nursery, and the Unborn Creations uh, after I had commissioned a piece from her uh, Unborn Creations. So... We'll give that to you at the tail end. It's a really good interview. It runs about 20 or so minutes, and uh, it's it's interesting. It's interesting to see someone go from never having done anything of the sort, just collect dolls, to completely designing and customizing and selling her own. It's, it's, a, it's different in my experience, so pretty cool. Um, and that'll be it for the entirety of the show. But before we do, a couple notes. Happy New Year, Jesse. Hey, happy year, L. Yay, L. <laughs> so if, just in case you don't catch every one of our episodes, year L, I announced last year. And if you've ever studied any um, Roman numerals, uh, it's 50. So this is year 50 in the Church of Satan. Um, the age of fire, as Anton LaVey put it. Uh, technically, if we want to be nerdy about it, it's year 49, but the way the numerical system works out, year one, year zero was actually year one, so we're at 50 right now. So uh, a lot of good things are happening this year and next year to commemorate the fucking 50 fucking years as a brand new, completely original and wildly relevant religion uh, as created by Anton LaVey. So uh, looking forward to this year coming. Um, Little tease 
for those of you listening, Megas Gilmore has agreed to come on and speak about the last 50 years of the Church of Satan, its history briefly, the impact the Church of Satan has had, and Satanism. And we're going to be talking about how it presents the, the philosophy of Satanism itself, the religion, and how members have applied it. And that'll obviously be in vague terms because we respect privacy of our members. But I was very excited. I, I'm not entirely sure how this is going to shape out, whether it's going to be a standalone episode or a segment in an episode, but it's going to be a pretty big deal. So I'm looking forward to that. And I hope you are as well. Doubt that I'll be able to fit in any questions from listeners, but if you have any that you would like me to ask Megas Gilmore about the last 50 years of the Church of Satan, send them in and I'll try to slide them in if we can, if we have some time. Um, and if not, no big whoop, it's going to be an awesome episode either way. Uh, so, New Year's, Year L, did you do anything special for New Year's? Do you normally? No. Nope. I'm not down on holidays or anything, um, but just being home with my husband and our cat and you know, if we felt like going to bed at 9 p.m., so we went to bed early, got up early, and had a good day. You know, I don't feel the need to stay up to midnight and watch something happen in New York on, t on the TV every year. <laughs> it was a good day. Yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> and it is weird that, I, I don't know, I, we're celebrating like the night before the actual, like, we're waiting for that very second to change when it, it seems logical to me that if you really wanted to celebrate the new year, you would wait until the actual new year so that you could do something productive rather than nurse a hangover. But, you know, two weeks their own. <laughs> uh, yeah, for, for me, I, I haven't gone to, like, gathering in, like, years, like, years, years. So, uh, double digits. So it's really just been like a family thing for us. And it's it's sort of like who can stay up the longest because <laughs> we're always so exhausted just from life itself. Um, and of course, we're not going to sit up and get hammered with our kids. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's a little different for in, in our household. So yeah, our, our day was the next day spending it together because everyone had it, uh, it off, kids from school and us from work. And we just spent the entire day playing board games and goofing on each other and talking and having a really great day. That sounds really great. Yeah, no hangovers at all. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> I, I've never understood the hangover part of drinking, like why you would get to that point. I don't, do you experience it a lot? Like, do you drink in excess so much that you get the hangover? No, it's, I mean, it's almost like it, there, there'd have to be like an illness on top of it or something, <laughs> you know? I mean, when I was younger, it's, sure, because you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that is it too. Like, as soon as you realize what your limits are, as soon as you can hit that nice buzz if you're into drinking and just nurse that mild buzz so you can still function as a regular human being <laughs> and not be a total asshat, you'll never have a hangover again. It's, it's wonderful really cool i do tend to the, the more people i have around me drinking i tend to lose <laughs> that sense of cool and calm but yeah it ends up okay anyway um okay so let's see new year oh yes uh for the podcast so every year i archive the last year's episodes and start a brand new rss feed for those of you who do subscribe to nine cents via rss feeds so I, that's either iTunes or, I don't know, some Android devices have uh, some RSS readers, or if you just um, use some web version of it. I know, like, Yahoo has one. 
that is going the way of the dodo. I'm no longer archiving in that manner. I'm actually switching the RS feed over to a brand new um, analytic based feed so I can track better the behaviors of you who are subscribing. Um, this means that you will have to, <laughs> and I'm going to send this out in social networking circles to make sure if you're following me there and you don't catch this episode, and I'll be talking about it for the entire month of January, but I'm going to be changing and it's already started now. I'm redirecting, um, from the old one to the new feed. So update your RSS feeds. If you don't know how to do that, unsubscribe from nine cents and resubscribe and you will be good to go. That's really all you have to do. If you get to a point where you notice that you're not getting updated episodes, then you need to always just unsubscribe and resubscribe. Whether, again, whether it's from nine or uh, iTunes or any other RSS reader that you use to get podcasts from. That is the best way to do it. And uh, this is, it's a bit of a headache, I know, but it's going to give us the producers of this podcast, every segment producer and myself included, uh, valuable information about how you guys tune in and consume this stuff we do every week. So it's going to help us help you. And we really appreciate you guys' uh, interaction and, you know, updating it when it needs to be. Also, uh, new images and stuff. But like I was mentioning, for archiving the episodes, I'm actually going to be tacking on every single episode of Nine Cents since 2011, episode one, uh, onto this new RSS feed. So you will no longer have to go to the archive section of the website unless you want to. Um, you can still do that. But you can get it all from this one RSS feed. Um, I didn't do that originally because I wanted to keep everything fresh, but I've gotten enough people asking me, how do I get old episodes? I don't want to stream it or I have problems streaming it from the website. How can I get that content? Well, this is going to be the way to do it. And it's probably going to end up being a lot easier for everyone involved. So um, look forward to that. Uh, again, I'm going to be running this same mantra throughout January. And then in February, I'm cutting the old one off completely. So make sure you update your information. All right. And then uh, last but not least, there have been a ton of additions of content uh, in the form of essays and interviews and fiction for the churchofsatan.com website. I encourage everyone to go and check out the website. There is a ton of content that has been put up recently and valuable content. So do yourselves a favor and stay up to date always by checking churchofsatan.com. All right. How about we talk about a little sinning? Sounds good to me. Cool. In nomine de nostris, Thomas Luciferus, in the name of Satan, the ruler of the earth, the king. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. The Ninth Satanic Sin, Lack of Aesthetics. This is the physical application of the balance factor. Aesthetics is important in lesser magic and should be cultivated. It is obvious that no one can collect any money off classical standards of beauty and form most of the time, so they are discouraged in a consumer society. But an eye for beauty, for balance, is essential is an essential satanic tool and must be applied for greatest magical effectiveness. It's not what's supposed to be pleasing, it's what is. Aesthetics is a personal thing, reflective of one's own nature, but there are universal pleasing and harmonious configurations that should not be denied. So, 
I think you put this up here today because you know I've been walking around in sweatpants all day. And you want to say anything? Didn't even comb out my hair until about an hour ago. <laughs> <clears throat> I've been meaning to talk to you about this, Jesse. Because <laughs> I've been trying to get stuff done. <laughs> I, I understand, but can't you just get them done in high heels and uh, stockings? I mean, let's let's be honest here. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I love this because it always makes me think of, uh, that person that always just wants to, uh, just rage against the machine. So they're like, oh, well, if being a Satanist means you have to have good aesthetics, well, what if my aesthetics is no aesthetics? <laughs> I, I love that. So your, your, your trick to magical success is vanilla <laughs> is like nothing that, it's insane. Like, why would you not? How do you? <laughs> so, okay, we're not going to play to that part of the conversation because it's it's ridiculous and it's absurd. Um, so what do you think, you know, um, inside of this, he's, he's talking about there's uh, universally pleasing and harmonious configurations that should not be denied. And then uh, just before that, he's saying that... Uh, uh, balance is essential, an eye for beauty, and uh, classical standards aren't always the way to go. So what do you think is may maybe one or two of those uh, pleasing, harmonious configurations he's speaking to in this? Well, like, um, I mean, there are certain things that make a woman attractive, and, and, and different guys are attracted to different sizes, shapes, coloring, mm -hmm. whatever, but there are things that are common enough that you know it's it's like you know if, if a if a witch wants to create a checklist for herself and okay I've, I've nailed the waist to hip ratio and i've nailed the long hair and i've nailed the uh dark coloring around my eyes and red lips and and there's just things you don't have to hit all of them but you mm -hmm. look at the list of you know you make yourself a list if you're smart of all the things that are would fit this mold of being not universally attractive. Looks like I said, there is variation in what guys like, but it's uh, it's just st statistically likely that men will like them. Yeah. And you just make sure you hit these things. And then on top of that, you create your own style. Yeah. Well, um, so the audience uh, and those who follow us in social networks uh, don't have the benefit of seeing the color version of the photos that were sent in of all of the um, contributors. But you had this really wonderful um, uh, pink or rose top on that, of course, now in the version that I've released is black and white. Um, and so the super sexy lines, bright colors, very, uh, very attractive presentation of yourself. Are there anything, I'm like, do you, do you adjust that look for the audience or do you try to customize your own look and just carry the day out in your own, in your own uh, clothes? You know what I mean? Your own, your own atmosphere, your own aesthetics. Um, it is context dependent, yeah. obviously. I mean, there would be things I would wear out to. You know, going out to dinner with friends that I wouldn't wear into the office, but that that you know that's true of anybody. Um, yeah, I mean, there. I would look ridiculous if I tried to pull off like a total bombshell look. It just wouldn't work for me. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I also would look ridiculous if I tried to look in any way butch. It just <laughs> wouldn't work for me. I would love to see it through. You know, I, I, I me, okay, me dressed as a dominatrix. You would laugh your ass off. It just oh. wouldn't work for me. I don't know. I got some images from that. <laughs> I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there, there is a, you know, it's, it's kind of just a, a, a soft, understated feminine mm-hmm. look I have, I guess. I think it's, a, it's an interesting um, note to uh, put out there because rather than, and we, we see this a lot in youth where we aren't aware of what truly works as far as fashion um for us individually and we try you know what's popular we try what's been popular or what we think will be popular or or what you know maybe it's just what our mom buys us and we just put it on but you go through this really awkward phase traditionally where you try to be something uh, other than what is natural to you and to your body and to your look um <laughs> it it traditionally ends up being a horrible <laughs> period of your life uh, visually because you look back and sort of cringe at oh I tried to do that for so long I tried to pull off that style and it just it just didn't work so we do have to truly work within and, and I think this is part of what you're speaking to Jesse we have to work within what uh, the bounds of our build and our complexion and our demeanor um, but within those bounds we can stretch a bit so we can push out. Um, so, you know, not everyone's going to be able to pull off your traditional 1997 goth look, uh, nor should they want to, to be honest. Um, and not everyone's going to be able to pull off the 1940s uh, damsel in a noir film look, um, though I wish everyone would be able to. Just my personal taste. Um and so you always have to find, you know, obviously your personal aesthetics, what you are connected with, because a lot of people, when they think of fashion, um, and please correct me if, if you see it differently, they think of uh, a time in human history that reflects that fashion rather than a, a runway model or, you know, you know, the lady down the street. You traditionally think of it in terms of eras, right? Well, I think when most people think of fashion, they think of whatever's current which might not be pleasing at all. Yeah, that's interesting. And it, it might be the difference between, oh, geez, the way that we would think because we try to cultivate um, our appearance versus what, you know, your average person does. Because I do very much think of, of, of fashion in terms of, of time. You know what I mean? Like when I think, oh, look at those pants. Those look like 1970s pants or 1950s or, you know, like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that too. And and with that, you have to kind of keep in mind, okay, you know, if if from the perspective of a witch, if, if the guy you're targeting, if, you know, he was hitting puberty in the 80s, then it's either going to be like the 70s or the 80s, whatever was in the porn magazines at that time, you know, mm. that's what he was looking at, you know, grabbed his older brother's porn magazines <laughs> from under the bed or something like that. Or his dad's. And that, oh, whatever. And, yeah. and those would be the images that he kind of, you know, hit pre-booty on, hit that crystallization on. So to yeah. sort of incorporate a bit of that look, even if you're wearing modern clothes, I, I don't know, does that make sense? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, we're talking about uh, owning your personal aesthetics based on your own individual body type. So, obviously, this Tannic Witch is going to help you in this, if it's not something that you naturally know already. Uh, there's, I would say the first half of the Stanic Witch is purely about this. So you really should, even if you're a guy, you really should be looking into it and uh, learning what you can from it. And read it over and over again if you have to. Um, and actually, Nine Cents and the lovely female contributors of Nine Cents uh, talked about this in an episode last year. So look up that if you didn't tune in and, and catch it. It's really, really worthwhile. But, uh, the whole point of this sin is the lack of aesthetics, okay? So rather than building up um, and, and customizing and truly owning, obviously the point of doing that is so you can be successful in lesser magic. So what are the downsides? Why is this a sin not having uh, figured out your personal aesthetics yet? Okay, well, there's, the way I see it, there's like, it's, there's the one-two punch of aesthetics. There's the first punch that gets people to turn their heads and actually notice you. Mm -hmm. And then there's the second one that keeps them looking. And you got to have both. You can't just be somebody who's great to look at. You've got to, there's got to be something about you that makes them stop and look in order yeah. to be able to see the second part. Um, so, I mean, if you're not paying attention and you just kind of blend into the crowd, no matter how good you look nobody's going to notice you because yeah. you're missing that first, you know, whack them in the head punch. Mm. So uh, now, yeah, you're, you're just missing out on opportunities. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the major components as I see it of, of Satanism and, and what separates Satanism from any atheistic or atheistic um, philosophy is that we do take control. We don't just say there is nothing and hence I'm just going to do my own thing. It's there is nothing, I'm going to do my own thing, but I'm going to I'm going to steer this ship. And the best way to do that and the best tool you can be given to do that is lesser magic. That's what makes satanism satanism. It's not just the philosophy, it's the action part of it. That, that's what makes it so different than anything else. Rather than just saying, these are our ideas, if you think them, great. It's saying, these are our ideas, and if you want to own your environment, here, use this. Lesser magic is the single most integral tool, in my opinion, of being a Satanist. And if you are not living your life and succeeding the way you think or wish you could or should be, well, it's because you're not practically, you're, you're probably not using lesser magic in any actual uh, successful way, if at all. So that's why uh, books like uh, The Satanic Witch are so goddamned important. Because it literally pays off the entire message of what lesser magic is and how to successfully apply it to your life. Men and women. Yeah, uh, I, I, sorry. Go ahead. Um, if you think about what people get paid, generally speaking, managers get paid more than people doing the grunt work, than actually getting shit done, you know? And the reason for that is because somebody who can get things done through other people is able to get more done. And that's kind of what lesser magic is about. It's, it's like moving into management. You're now getting things done through other people. Yeah. So by not having a sense of personal aesthetics 
and being unsuccessful at practicing lesser magic. It is a sin because you are ignoring the single most powerful thing about Satanism. Like, it just, it drives me crazy when you see people who are just stumbling over themselves over and over in life, and they don't ever actually stop, re-examine themselves, apply a little lesser magic, and realize that it is so goddamn easy to get wherever you want to get. And that may be just working in a mechanic at the uh, a shop down the street. Whatever it is that you want, lesser magic will help you do it. Yeah, and this is like this is the easiest part of lesser magic. Yeah. It's like, you know, there's 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 all kinds of like little behavioral things you can do when interacting with people, but this is the one you just throw on the right kind of clothes in the morning and then you can focus on something else for the whole rest of the day, never give it a second thought and it's still working for you. Yeah. You actually had a really wonderful episode of I Dream of Jesse, uh, specifically around the lesser magic of Orphan Black, that is a wonderful payoff to this idea. Um, I highly suggest everyone go check out Jazz from the Satanic Windbag. It has all of her past episodes and um, Jesse's past episodes on Nine Cents, but also her own uh, individual blog posts and thoughts, and it's it's really valuable. But that that connects beautifully into this. And this is why I asked you um, earlier on wh whether you just had a sense of personal aesthetics that you wore every day or whether you tailored them. And you, you said rightly so, um, situationally dependent, because if you are trying to get a manager position at a local shop, um, mechanic shop down the street, you're going to want to appeal to them in the way that they want you to be rather than maybe the way you naturally are. So that means that you're going to have to dress yourself for the part. You're going to have to behave. You're going to have to put on that thespian robe and play that role. And that's really what Lesser Magic is all about. It's, it's playing to your audience, not playing for yourself. And that's why it's, it's such a powerful tool. It's not saying we're Satanists and so we just are the way we are and fuck everyone else. With that kind of an attitude, you're never going to get anywhere in life. It's, I am who I am and I'm comfortable with that but I'm going to play to your hand and I'm going to get you to do what I want you to do or to give me what I want you to give me. It is using the people around you to get what you want. And this is, that's again, why this is such a sin to not have personal aesthetics. You have to as a Satanist. It is truly one of the defining aspects of Satanism that makes it different, original, and more importantly, powerful. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on? No, I th actually I think that kind of leads pretty well into my I Dream of Jesse. <laughs> it's almost like we've done this before. <laughs> All right, let's do a little I Dream of Jesse. Did you ever want to sell your soul to the devil? Have all your wildest dreams become reality? Or just sign a blood on the dotted line? Of course, not everyone can find the crossroads, so let me make it easy for you. Tune in every month to Nine Cents, and I'll bring you Down to the Crossroads. We'll discuss the blues, the devil, and everything in between. Down to the Crossroads with your host, Aaron Casabaugh. Every month, only on NineCentsPodcast.com. Jesse! What do you want? Well, first, Jesse, I'd, I'd, I'd like you to address me as master. I, I am your master, after all. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes, master. 
That's better. Now look, I've got guests coming over tonight, and I want you to entertain them. What do I look like, a belly dancer? Uh, I, I assumed that was part, I mean, the outfit, it, it kind of suggests you may be used to dance. Listen, the gin put me in the bottle, he forgot to add the preservatives. Now the outfit may be wrinkle-free, but what in it ain't. You don't like it, call the number on the bottle and complain. Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. Let's take that apart. A hypocrite is someone who says one thing and does another. Hypocritical self-deceit would be believing the things you say and not recognizing that your behavior says otherwise. Undefiled wisdom is being able to see your behaviors for what they are. It's not necessarily about integrity. You might still choose to talk the talk but not walk the walk, but you'll be aware that you're being deliberately hypocritical. Undefiled wisdom has its benefits and its challenges. One of the benefits is to be able to create a consistent image for others. The idea to remember is that people only separate behaviors from identity when they think of themselves. To put this another way, I know I'm more than what I say and do, but all I know of someone else is what they say and do. I can't know their thoughts, feelings, or motivations so I necessarily need to reduce the other person to some kind of mental construct in which all of their most salient behaviors make sense to me. Imagine if our lives could be simplified down to the story length of a novel. What others make of us is like the 30-second trailer for the film based on that novel. A good trailer pitches the story and leaves you wanting more. What a targeted audience hears you say and sees you do pitches your story. Let me give you one hypothetical example of why consistency matters. Let's say there's a young musician trying to be seen as an iconoclast. He looks, his look fits the part, his music fits the part, he practices for hours a day to get live performances seamless, but he also makes rent by working at McDonald's. Now there's no shame in working fast food, but it will kill the lesser magic he struggled to create if his fans see him there in uniform. It's like watching a trailer for one of the Taken movies and cutting in a couple of seconds of, se of Superman. It's jarring and it turns the viewer away rather than drawing them in. Now, if our young musician recognizes what he's doing on stage is creating an image and what he's doing at McDonald's is paying the rent, then he'll be careful not to let the latter destroy the former. But if he believes himself to be the iconoclast that he's promoting himself as, he runs the risk of somehow justifying flipping burgers as being a genuine part of his rebelliousness. Maybe he tells himself, I refuse to go corporate, iron my trousers, and sit in a cubicle all day. He might fool himself into thinking he's being consistent, but no one else will see it that way. That gets me to another benefit of undefiled wisdom, because while creating a consistent image for others is useful, Having a consistent image of ourselves is a sure sign of self-deceit. It's tough to admit to ourselves when we're wrong, so we create narratives in which, if not right, our actions are at least understandable. Anyone in our place would have done the same thing. So behavior and the narrative we form based on our beliefs about our behavior form a trap that becomes increasingly difficult to break free from. This self-narrative exists as much, if not more, for other people than for us. No one wants to look unstable, indecisive, out of control, or undisciplined. So for every behavior, we say, I meant to do that. And then we work out in retrospect why we meant to do that. 
And as soon as we find an explanation that makes sense, it becomes our truth. Everyone does this. So completely avoiding hypocritical self-deceit is, in a sense, as hopeless as avoiding the so-called sins of lust, envy, and hate. It's just human nature, and you will do it. With effort, you can do it less. One way to avoid it is to spend some quiet time alone challenging your narrative. In the normal bump and grind of life, cognitive dissonance is quieted by our self-narrative so that we can be effective in the world. It's when we're alone, without interruptions or distractions, that we can admit, I didn't mean to do that, and now I wish I hadn't done that. And then we can examine why we really behave the way we do and who we really are. Another way to avoid self-deceit is to have people around you who can call you out on your bullshit. Now, somebody able and willing to do that is a rare gem. Once you or someone else has called you out on your bullshit, you may decide to make a change. If so, then once again, it's important to recognize the differences between who you are, what you say, and what you do. Because talk is cheap, and what you say should be the last part to change. Think of the portly middle-aged couch potato who says he's decided to get back in shape. Does anyone believe him? No. He doesn't even, probably doesn't even believe himself. To change your identity in your head, and in the 30-second trailer version of you and other people's heads, you first need to change what you do. Then you incorporate what you do into your self-identity of who you are, and then you talk about it. So our couch potato needs to start working out first. Then he can change his self-narrative to include the fact that he is someone who does work out and has been working out for some time. Then when people comment on his physique, then they'll believe him when he talks about getting back into shape. Who knows, maybe their 30-second trailer will go from a comedic buddy flick to a triumphant hero's journey. Who I am may be something different from what I publicly present but the behaviors people around me are witnessing had best be consistent with the things I'm telling them. Most people aren't going to want to analyze you. If you do something out of character, it might momentarily break the spell you're trying to cast. But if you quickly provide a plausible explanation, the moment passes, like a momentary stutter in the playback of an otherwise consistent and engaging 30-second trailer. While having a consistent image with which to influence others can be useful, having a consistent image can also work against us if part of that image is what we want to change. Imagine our young musician working at McDonald's again. He deceives himself into believing working fast food is an act of rebellion against corporations trying to enslave the masses with cubicles and neckties. Believing this, he makes no effort to hide his employment and thus breaks the spell he's trying to cast on his fans and never makes the big time musically. He's still buying his own bullshit even though no one else is. So 10 years on, he's probably now a manager at that McDonald's, but now the cost of living is catching up with him and he wants more than a fast food salary can provide. How can he get a better paying job without going against everything he's been saying for 10 years? What does he do if in his late 20s he finds he's been on the wrong track for too long and has been public publicly disparaging the very behaviors he now needs to adopt? He can't just change the behavior at that point. Somehow, some way, he will need to build that change into his self-narrative. He won't want to admit he was simply wrong all those years. So somehow he will need to make his past behavior, if not right, then at least understandable, where anyone in his place would have done the same thing. People who need to pull a U-turn in their own storyline need an event to explain it. No one will believe our couch potato will suddenly decide he's going to get back into shape 
is really going to start working out until they see the results. Why? Because why should he change? People don't just change. I mean, I can change, but then I'm more complicated than a novel. Other people, why they're as simple as a 30-second trailer. And if that trailer is a buddy film or a hero's journey or a monster flick, it is what it is and it's not going to change. Unless there's a plot twist. Unless there's this totally unexpected event that changes everything. But to pull a U-turn in the story of a person's life, that event has to be something big. It has to make you say, whoa, didn't see that coming. The event has to be big enough to make plausible the impact it has on someone's life. For our couch potato, it could be a heart attack. Now, granted, people have heart attacks all the time, some are mild, and this might not seem like that big of an event. You're correct to think that if that's what you were thinking, but our, po our couch potato, his change to being Mr. Fit and Healthy, isn't that big of a change if his job, his family, and all other hobbies and interests remain consistent. But our musician ranting about corporate enslavement his entire adult life. He can't just have a heart attack and change his entire tune. He needs a bigger, life-changing event in order to make his U-turn plausible, both to himself and to others. And thus, he finds God. Now seriously, one of my friends did this. She was an adamant, atheist, punk rocker down on corporate America and the enslavement of the day job who dealt with the stress of mediocrity by steadily increasing her drug use. Then she found God and transformed her life. She grew her hair out, toned down the makeup, wore nice, respectable clothes, took an office job, kept her car and her apartment clean, and stopped using drugs. Actually, a lot of substance abusers try to use finding God as the event to turn their lives around. AA may not work, but its popularity exists for many reasons. Family members who believe in the power of Christ to compel will give a second chance to drunk relatives who find God and join AA. Now go ahead and roll your eyes, but there's a lesson to be learned here, and it's not, mm, drugs are bad, okay? If you need to drastically change a long-standing consistent image, people will demand a plausible explanation in order to accept the new you. If my friend had simply adopted a neat, drab appearance and taken an office job, my action would have been to scream at, are you fucking hypocrite? But instead she found God, and while I may have rolled my eyes at that, I never accused her of hypocrisy. Now, hopefully whatever track you're on isn't so bad that you need a finding Jesus moment to change it, but you might want to keep this lesson in mind. If there are loved ones or employers or other people who need to be convinced of your sincerity, your past behaviors have created a construct in their minds, a 30-second trailer of who you are that does not allow this change in behavior to be real. They don't trust it, and the sudden inconsistency is off-putting. But if the change of behavior comes with a plausible explanation, they will buy it and they will be rooting for you to succeed. Now, if you need to make a big change and you fabricate an explanation, just don't start buying it yourself. Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit. And while no one wants to look unstable, indecisive, out of control, or undisciplined, we all have these qualities in us. Fake consistency for others but try not to fool yourself. <laughs> Sorry. I had Thank to clap. you. Beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Would I, oh gosh, one of the, one, one of the things I really truly love about your segment and sorry, a little bit of meta information here is that you take some established ideas like, uh, this tenic statement, Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-deceit and then sort of, 
twist it to pay off a, a slightly different idea. Uh, completely, completely fantastic. I, I couldn't help but think while you were um, while you were giving your episode how this is so goddamn relevant in like everything I do, <laughs> like everything I do. Um, I <clears throat> I love the idea of of having a reason in others' eyes to make drastic change in yourself so that they're gonna believe it and, and fully accept it. I think that's really great. I. I think all of us, if we stop and think about any time that we've had drastic shifts in either our behaviors or our thoughts, there's always a catalyst to it. And so it makes perfect sense that if you want to convince people, and, and this is going, um, this is sort of paying off what we were discovering, uh, discussing earlier too, it just makes perfect sense if we want to convince people that we are on a new road, if we have taken a turn using lesser magic, that we would have to have a catalyst for that so that they could understand it. So beautifully put, Jesse, wonderful. Why, thank you. <laughs> um, are there are, are there any events that you would, uh, just off the top of your, top of your head here, um, that you could uh, connect with, with this, that you've, you've manufactured situations to help people or you've had life experiences happen where you've changed course like your friend did? Yeah, I mean, I've used, when I wanted to kind of, like, get more control over some financial situations, I've used things like, you know, we we bought a house a year ago and we're finding ourselves behind on the bills, which we weren't, but it would make sense that somebody who just bought a house a year ago would suddenly be finding themselves behind the bills, and so people believed it. So if mm -hmm. I backed off commitments on things, nobody took it personally. Um, nice. yeah, I, that one came to mind off the top of my head, but, um, oh yeah, uh, recently at work I took a promotion, which made it perfectly reasonable for me to not stop talking to some of the people at work, but to stop some of the kind of idle chit chat mm -hmm. Yeah, because it would be setting a bad example. And not that I, you know, started yelling at them, oh, you shouldn't be doing this thing that I used to be doing. But just the fact that I, you know, as soon as I, I didn't want, I kind of got dragged into it unintentionally because it's like there were people I needed to train with and mm -hmm. therefore I needed to have a relationship with them. And then it kind of developed into these, oh, you know, these guys are kind of slackers and they spend a lot of time chatting and I'm just there to try to learn something. But now I'm involved in this chatting. So it really mm -hmm. worked out well for me to say, oh, okay, I'm... And management now, I, I can't do that anymore. And it, and nobody took offense to it. So yeah, yeah I mean, you just, just look for these. Anytime there's a change, think, how can I use this to my advantage? I love how you say we all have these qualities in us of hip, hypocritical self-deceit or uh, out of control or undisciplined behavior, indecisiveness, being unstable. Um, and it's it's true. I As... And I find this a lot specifically in Satanists because I'm a Satanist and I speak to a lot of Satanists where we we can easily fall into that trap of saying, no, no, I'm not I don't know. I'm not lying to myself in any way. This is I am ultimate creation of man. I am a Satanist. I, I, I am my I, own not, God. Therefore, yeah. everything I do is deliberate. I can do nothing <laughs> wrong. And you convince yourself. Oh, I didn't mean to 
get that DUI. I just wanted to test whether you know, I could, whatever, making up fucking excuses just as you're speaking to um, in any situation. And then eating your own bullshit. Da fuck. That is the worst. That is one of the, uh, one of the really, truly wonderful aspects uh, for me of Satanism was um, forcing myself to take an honest evaluation of my behaviors how I presented myself, uh, how I felt about myself, and then doing what I needed to do to adjust any uh, negative um, or uh, behaviors that had discord with what I was looking to attain or, or achieve or be as an individual. Um, and and <laughs> I think that's just truly uh, a wonderful way to put it, is that we're human beings. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. We're going to fall on our face, we're going to make up shit, and sometimes we're going to buy into it or, or live our lives believing every little thing. However, as a Satanist, we're given tools to try to take a step back, examine it, and just as Jesse is saying here, truly work through uh, some of our own uh, poorer qualities uh, and, and turn them if not for other people in goals or, or uh, things you want to achieve, then just for yourself and, and adjust them. And that was a truly wonderful episode, Jesse. Thank you very much. All right, Jesse, how can the good people listening find a little bit more about you? I am on Twitter as at damn lucky. I have a blog, which is um, drafts from a satanic windbag dot uh, wordpress.com. Uh, they can email me, idojesse at gmail.com, and I'm on Facebook as Jesse Twain. Sweet. Uh, definitely check out Jesse online. Uh, tons and tons of really valuable content, specifically on the blog, but uh, connect with her everywhere else too because she's such a wonderful woman. All right, let's do a little creature feature. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the creature of <laughs> Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by the beautiful witch Marilyn Mansfield, and we're going to be talking today about unborn creations. Her Goo Goo Gaga nursery, uh, I, I don't know, is, is, it a, is it a branch of that, Marilyn? Yes, it is a branch. It is the uh, horror line of um, reborn dolls that... Um, you know, that's my company is Goo Gaga Nursery. And then I, I uh, started doing the, I was supposed to do them for Halloween only. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> the horror dolls <laughs> took over the, uh, the uh, I, I hate to use the word normal, but you know, uh, yeah. baby. So they're, they're, yeah, unborn creations are all year round. <laughs> well, I do want to bring this up because you and I had spoken when you had first when well, when you created your first and you were breaking it into a business model. So and and I was wildly impressed with that very first doll that you created. So what was it that inspired you to um, one create a business that Google Gaga Nursery, and then two to break it off into uh, even just the seasonal when you first started the seasonal approach of of uh, sort of undead dolls. Um, you know the, what happened was I did the uh, TLC show, mm -hmm. my collection obsession, 
And, you know, I, I really was pleased with uh, how the show turned out. It was fun. It was, you know, a great experience. Um, and I thought to myself, well, what am I, what am I going to do from here? Am I just going to, you know, uh, be known as, you know, a collector or, you know, um, should I, you know, try and, and um, start making dolls? I did not think I could do it. I really did not think because I, I can't draw anything. I can't um, draw a stick figure, you know. So I was like, you know, um, well, I'll just, you know, start out very small. I mean small, meaning I had two brushes and three paints, you know. Wow, yeah. And I went, yeah, and, and that doll that I had showed you, I just had went out, you know, to like Toys R Us and bought that doll and, and uh, just try to, you know, paint it. And um, my mother-in-law actually has that, number one. <laughs> oh, nice. But um, you know, and and then as I did it, I I found I was you know pretty good at it, and you know the whole um, business thing just kind of like everything just kind of started happening, you know. And uh, I came up with the name because the New York Post called me uh, Lady Gugu Gaga, <laughs> so I was like, you know, as a tribute, that was the first thing that really um, in the media that was the first uh, the press. That really, you know, um, took off. So yeah. as a tribute to that, that's where I came up with the company name. And I started doing the Reborns. And then I thought, you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing a horror line because that's what I, that's what I started collecting was horror dolls, you know. And uh, people just love them. And now it's like, it's tremendous. It, it really <laughs> is, you know. Every, every aspect of it has gone, you know, far beyond anything I ever thought, you know, would happen and i i'm so i'm so grateful and i'm just so excited about it you know let me let me ask you a little bit more about the artistic side of it i'm you'd mentioned that you couldn't even draw a stick figure yeah and yet you're creating such detailed i mean the physiology i the veins and and the blood everything it looks so realistic what was the biggest hurdle for you to to nail that that realistic look of uh, of tr I mean truly it's it's the painting that you're doing on these dolls. You know, I, I to be honest with you, I never had a hurdle with the, with the painting and, and anything like that. I mean, I've always been very very um, intrigued with medical science. I've always been intrigued with you know the birth process and you know fetuses and things like that. Um, uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, maybe my background with uh, cosmetology helped me along. Um, mm, but, yeah. you know, it's just like I literally, for many, many of the dolls, I literally sat down. It was my first attempt and it came out great. Like that's, you know, I, I'm self-taught, um, you know, and I just look at photos of, you know, babies and 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 zombies and <laughs> you know just figuring out it has to make sense medically you know and scientifically for me yeah and if somehow it just works out i mean it's i, I don't and now i'm getting into the the uh sculpting which you yeah. know i i mean most everything i sculpted has been with just my two hands i don't have any you know i have one little tool and that's it it's just like you know i i, I picture it in my mind and I just make it make it happen with my hands. It's it's you know I it's it's a really it sounds corny, but it's a magical thing. <laughs> yeah. 
No, absolutely. And that's, I mean, it, it speaks to um, your your creativity and drive as an artist to rather than sitting in a perceived comfort zone uh, and just saying, no, I, I don't do that. This is what I do and I'm going to continue doing what I do. You're actually willing to, you know, push yourself and, and move in from uh, the really incredibly detailed, layered painting to sculpting and then painting on top of the sculpt. Um, I mean, do, do you, other than other photographs, I mean, do you have uh, inspirations that you draw from um, other artists or other, um, I don't know, just other mediums that you, you sort of use as inspiration? Um, you know, um, it, it, it's, it's tricky because I, I like, I like, you know, especially the zombies and things to be as lifelike as possible. Like if this was a baby. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> zombies are lifelike, yeah. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Like, if, yeah. if I figure out, like, okay, if someone, what are zombies? They are people who died and came back. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I, you know, I tend to look at very morbid photographs. Um, <laughs> that inspires me, you know. Um, but it, ha it has to make sense in a realistic way. Like, well, if, uh, you know, a person died and came back as a zombie, their nails would be, you know, this color. And their skin would have this, the blood would, you know, uh, raise up to the surface in certain areas. Like, it all has to make sense to me. And I think that's, that's awesome. you know, that, that little, like, OCD thing I have <laughs> makes them look, like, you know, really even more creepy and more realistic. Um, but we just did a convention the last, uh, past weekend. And I have um, my baby Grace, who was, um, she's a sleeping zombie. I call them about to turn babies since they, you know, just turned and they didn't yet open up their eyes. Um, and I had her, uh, she was on uh, Taboo with me when I did Taboo, the show on that, you know. And um, I had her there and she's there in a christening gown, you know. And this woman came over and she was a, um, uh, a, a doula for, um, you know, a, a hospital. And mm -hmm. she was like, this is so realistic this is like you know i've seen horrible things and it's sad because as as a parent myself you know nobody wants to think of a baby dying or anything like that you know mm -hmm. but it is an art form and i'm not making you know to me it's separated because it's like in the you know the horror related um thing you know where it's like zombies i'm not just making dead babies you know what i mean mm -hmm. um because that that is that is horrible. I mean, that it's just, you know, it's not something as a mother that I would, you know, appreciate. But, you know, I mean, it's it's a fictional thing. Zombies are not real. So, but some people they look very realistic, and they're like, oh, you know, wow. Especially <laughs> that one doll. They're like, that is so creepy. I don't know. There was another like a bunch of EMS people kept coming over as well being like this is so realistic you know <laughs> it's like scary you know and it's just like that's just me come you know comes out of my my mind <laughs> i kind of i mean it, it it is a i don't i mean i don't want, I, I hate saying it's a it's a touchy situation but it there is a, a very much like a taboo nature to it i mean dealing with with you know 
a, even if it's just a sculpt of a dead baby, still evokes those emotions that one would feel for a baby if it did die. I, he can't really help it, at least, you know, for me. And so, um, like, I reached out to you and I asked you to um, build a custom piece, which you went above and beyond with. And there's this part of me that it, I, I liken it back to Anton LaVey when he was speaking of artificial human companions mm -hmm. and how um, you can, if you are, if you, if you want to have something, uh, some, a piece of life with you that you just don't, then you can fill that gap with artificial human companions. So what I see you're doing, I very much liken to just filling that void that people need. And sometimes it's enough just to see it as a, a sculpture or a piece of art uh, or, or even just a, a display piece. But very much for me when I asked you to do it, it was filling up a hole that my wife and I had, you know, in our relationship. And so it is very much a, a really sensitive, a really delicate subject to bring up. But it's such a goddamn powerful thing. Uh, did you ever imagine going into this uh, that you would be reaching out on these really primal levels of people's emotions with with this expression of art? You know, I, I really didn't. I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to make a few dolls and hopefully they'll sell, you know? <laughs> um, but, you know, as um, like what you just said, so many of my clients um, have the dolls for a reason. And, you know, um, and when they confide in me in that, you know, I, I you know, I, I keep it with me, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And I know when I'm working on the doll that it's, I'm going to, you know, put, you know, the extra, extra care into it. And I mean, I have, I have people who um, can have children and, you know, they, they ordered a doll for me and that's their, their child, you know. Uh, symbolically and that's fine I have pe people that have lost a child I have people you know um, write to me all the time and I, I have I tend to be very um, sympathetic and emotional as it is so you know it's always very touching and um, you know it's 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 always a special a special thing for me and I make sure that you know they're totally happy and you know I give them little gifts for them and and you know um, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of, of their process of whatever it is they need to, um, you know, fill. You, mm -hmm. you get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's an honor for me to help someone fill a, a void or, you know, um, help, help them heal in some way. It is. It is. And I think that the dolls, you know, I'm an advocate for the dolls for therapeutic um, reasons, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's, it's become so much more than just making dolls and selling them as collectibles, you know. And, uh, I mean, it's great. It's really great. Well, um, well let me, let's move to a little bit lighter yeah. <laughs> subject here. I mean, when you started making these, it was very much uh, your traditional baby um, that you were creating. 
And at this point, are you making more of your unborn or are you making more of the traditional Goo Goo Gaga versions of your um, your babies? At this point, um, it definitely the unborn creations are taking over. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think that with um, things like The Walking Dead, you know, and things like uh, zombies and, and, and gore and, and stuff like that becoming mainstream, shocking in itself, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, really has, you know, uh, paved the way for people to say, oh, well, it's okay if I have a zombie baby because, you know, they're on TV. And <laughs> where before, you know, I had these creepy dolls and people thought I was nuts. But, you know, I mean, even like the vampire babies and and, and demon babies, I mean, it's all in, in the film today and everything. And, you know, it, obviously zombie babies, vampire babies and demon babies do not exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and if, they, you know, people want, it's a fantasy to have, you know, a uh, a baby like this, then I'm going to make it for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, have you ever done a like a super traditional cutesy all in pink sort of bows and everything baby? I mean, it, oh, or, or yeah. has it always been like a real lifelike stuff? Um, no, I mean, I've done, I've done, um, little like cutesy little character, uh, mm-hmm. dolls for, for people like me to look like them kind of, but they're like really like fun and, and cute. But I mean, you know, uh, most people are after the realism. I mean, they, they, they go down to like the weight down to the ounce, you know, like um, a scratch here on the left cheek. You know, it's like very, very particular uh, specifications of clients, you know, wow. uh, want and things. But, you know, the, the thing is that there's a lot, a lot, a lot of reborn artists out there. There are not a lot of horror reborn doll artists. And if there are, they are not. A lot of them, I mean, I don't know, from what I've seen, they don't go, I mean, some do, some don't, some are afraid to cross the line and make them too gory, too creepy, mm-hmm. you know, too realistic, too much. I cross that line. And, you know, <laughs> a lot of times I question it and I say, I say to Zoff, like, you think this one's a little too much? And he's like, it looks amazing. No. And, you know, I know, I know it's not for everyone's taste and I know I'm risking you know, upsetting someone or whatever, but it, it's a doll. It's a doll, you know? Yeah. And um, it, to me, it's special effects. I mean, I met Greg Nicotaro this past weekend, who is a, a master special effects artist, and he said my work was fantastic. He told me, yeah. keep doing what you're doing, you know? And it's like, that kind of reinforcement is like, you know, if it upsets a couple of people, you know, it, if they can't, open your eye, open up their eyes, you know, to that it's an art form, then, you know, I don't know what to tell them, you know? So, yeah. It's, wow. I just go, I, I gotta go with it, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, well, and what I, what I really appreciate about what you're capable of is that if, if the client doesn't like the, uh, unborn creations horror art version, you, you're still completely capable and quite skilled at creating a traditional, uh, you know, baby for them if that's what they want. So, yeah. I mean, being able to go back and forth and, you know, go and stretch out to even, you know, some other fringe areas, I think is is really fantastic. And that you're not afraid to 
to push out and test those boundaries and then go past them based on what the client would want, I, I think is really amazing. Um, well, I mean, let's sort of wind down this discussion as we're talking about this. I mean, 2014 had to have been a huge year for you. How many conventions did you attend in 2014? Um, you know, I, I do as many as I can. It's a lot of work, you know, and it's an expense. So, um, I do chill theater and, uh, I've been doing chill theater, which is in uh it's a horror convention mm-hmm. in, um, Parsippany, New Jersey. And I do the October one. And last year we did it. We did very well. This year people came looking for me and I think I brought $7 and I, I sold six of them. Whoa. So yeah, That's you know, awesome. people, yeah, people are, you know, um, they come that this woman bought one last year. She came back and bought two more, you know, <laughs> and that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted as a collector, I used to run to the, to the, you know, to the artists who had the dolls. Now people mm-hmm. run over to me, which is, you know, it's, it's, and I am so grateful for each person that, that, you know, adopts a, a, um, a doll for me because, you know, I put so much into each and every one, you know, and, um, I always say, like, when I die, I want everyone to have my doll, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, it's a lot of work, but it is a very rewarding um, experience. You know, it's a lot yeah. of talking and explaining there. No one ever complains to me, either online or to my face, about the dolls. They might say they're creepy, but they're amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah, Nobody yeah. ever says, oh, I don't like them at all, period. No one ever says that. They might say, oh, you know, it's not for me, but I, I think it's amazing, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we just did Walker Stalker Con uh, last weekend, which was a um, new convention. Well, not really new, but new to uh, New York and New Jersey. Um, and it's a convention dedicated to zombies and The Walking Dead. We were in the same room with most of the cast from The Walking Dead. And um, Norman Reedus, I got to talk with Norman Reedus. And I made a, a, a baby Daryl, number two, because he has number one. I met him back in April, and he fell in love with the little Daryl Dixon doll I did. That, you know, he he wanted it, so I gave it to him, and he's been tweeting it and Instagramming it and everything. So that's awesome. Yeah, he was really impressed with it, and you know, people are were taking pictures with him, and <laughs> you know, it's 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 overwhelming the. Um, I mean, our booth was so crowded, you know, it's overwhelming, but it's so wonderful. Everyone really has such nice compliments and, you know, it, that you can't beat the networking, you know? Mm-hmm. So, we, you know, we keep busy. And now I have accessories to go with the dolls and I'm, whatever my mind can come up with, I'm putting it out there, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, that's great. Well, um, when you're when you're prepping for these conventions, is this something where you're you're trying to make a number of dolls for the convention or I like every year, do you have sort of a, a quota for yourself that you say, in addition to the commissioned work, I'm going to create this many this year. How's that work? Well, what, what usually happens is when I have a convention planned, um, I will make show, show babies, you know, mm. so weeks leading up to the, um, event, I, I like, you know, I make uh, a bunch of dolls, usually about six, you know, um, six or seven, um, to bring to the show. 
Um, but, you know, if it keeps up at this rate, I'm going to have to bring more, which is great. <laughs> because, like, the last show, I brought four. Because what happened was in October, at the end of October, I did the show. And I sold out of the dolls. So I had to start all over. And, you know, it's time-consuming. So I was only able to get four for the first week of December, you know. Um, and and um, a girl came to get one, and, you know, we had already sold out, and she was really upset, and I got upset. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I felt terrible, but I, there's nothing I can do, you know. They're all just whatever I have. Um, but I also sell bottles and creepsakes, which are the little hands and feet, you know. Um, and I, <laughs> nice. yeah, I have sculpted little zombie parts and things like that. So there's always something there, but, I mean, the dolls itself, what what we decided is now is you know I'm gonna start a little bit sooner and bring a few more. It's just yeah. it's a lot of work up until you know the day before the show. I'm like painting like 16 hours a day, you know. <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 a lot of work, but it's it's you know it's I love it. I love it. So. So are are you currently still taking um, custom orders? Oh yeah, I'm taking custom orders for um, January. So, you know, if you want to get an order in, more than welcome. <laughs> well, how can people reach out to you? I have a site. It's MarilynMansfield.com. All my links are on there. Um, most people contact me through my Facebook fan page, um, you know, but my, uh, all my emails and everything are all on my site. So, you know, you can find me everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely suggest everyone um, going on Facebook and checking out the work and um, go to the website as well. You really are a very, very talented woman, uh, Marilyn. I'm quite impressed with your work. Uh, he, <clears throat> Our son is sitting on a mantle for all to see, and every single person who's seen him has been uh, all at once amazed and horrified. And I think that is probably <laughs> the best compliment a real artist can have uh, having their work immediately have a reaction inside of people. That's what people want to, you know, that's what artists strive for and, and you've definitely got it. So I'm um, very impressed with you. Uh, well, it was really wonderful having you and I wish you the best of luck and a, a, a more fulfilling year uh, next year as well. Uh, congratulations on all of your successes. Well-deserved. Thank you, and happy holidays and happy new year to you and your family and your little one in the jar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, until we can chat again, hail Satan. Hail Satan. And that's going to do it for another show, people. We hope you enjoyed it, and we would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let us know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Satanet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Mondays via the RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. Remember, it's changing, so if you're already doing it, update your links. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can find us there. You can subscribe to 9 Cents via iTunes by searching 9 Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and a comment. I, I mention this every week, and there's a reason for it. There's a lot of pseudo-podcasts out there. There's a lot of satanic podcasts that just aren't really that great. Harsh, but true. You can actually help other people find valuable content like you're listening to right now. And the best way to do that is sharing our posts, leaving a rating, and giving us your comments. 
Uh, we truly appreciate the the time it takes you, and I know it does take time out of your lives. So uh, try to do so if you can. We appreciate it. And if you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan or Satanism, visit churchofsatan.com. It is literally the only website that is defining and defending Satanism online, and it is the only place to go for true satanic wisdom. Do yourselves a favor. Again, like I mentioned at the top, there's a lot of new content. Go check it out. And remember that the only way that we're going to continue doing this is via your interaction. Tell the segment producers how you feel about them. Uh, email Jesse like she just gave you all the ways, different ways to contact you. Uh, every single one of the contributors, do them the uh, give them the respect of reaching out and telling them what you think, good or bad. Bad is actually important because that helps us, though I doubt Jesse will get any of that. Uh, let's stay together as Nine Cents and help promote what is truly the best source in podcast form <laughs> of satanic thought. Uh, the word people. And once again, for Jimmy, as always, I'm host Adam Campbell being joined by Jesse. Hey, I'm Satan. Yeah, Satan.